What's going on, everybody? This is Andy Morales, and my guest today is Clarence Barbie, and welcome to this episode seven of Unravel Influence. How are you, brother? I'm good, man. I'm very, very good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Had a weird couple of weeks, had a weird couple of days, but I am breathing. I woke up this morning, so that's all that matters. You ain't lying about that. Word, for real, for real. So... The first question I always ask, um, I always ask everybody this question. So as far as poetry, as far as writing, how did all of that stuff start for you? Um, it, you know, and I, I, I always feel like um, this answer is like never enough, but it's always the truth. Um, in that when I was in uh, seventh grade, um, I had an English teacher, uh, Miss Mobley, who really kind of caught caught my reins about uh, writing and challenged me to uh, to do a poem for the uh, the uh, doctor. They always do an essay and poetry contest for, um, for uh, Dr. King's birthday in, uh, in Omaha. And, you know, in, in classic teacher fashion, she didn't ask me to write it. She challenged me to write it. Mm. So, um, you know, she challenged me to write it. Um, that poem ended up tying for first place. It was published in the... Uh, in the in the Omaha World Herald, and from then on, it seemed like I was good at something, you know. So when whenever you're you know you're challenged to do something and you actually succeed in doing it, um, you kind of stick with it, <laughs> and that was kind of the thing that that kind of led me on this uh, this journey where I'm at right now. Amen, amen. So talk to me about that challenge. You said she challenged you. Like, was it one of those, you better do this, or was it something like, oh, she saw potential in you, and she said, hey, I challenge you to do this kind of thing. Like, walk me through that. How did that make you feel, and what was it about that challenge that made you feel the way if you felt? Um, you know, and I, and I say challenge because, you know, as as a kid, you know, Teachers are, are very smart. I mean, Miss Mobley was, was very, very smart. She knew that she could ask me to do it, and she knew that, like, I would do it just on the strength of her asking me. Uh, but she wanted to get something out of me. Mm, okay. So it was kind of one of those things where, like, you know you're dealing with the psyche of a, you know, 12, 13-year-old boy. Um, you can ask him, and he'll, he'll do it. But if you challenge him, you might get a little bit of more of a fire. You might get more of a spark. You know, mm, okay. So it's like you know when we when we deal with kids, um, you know we can ask them to do whatever, and they they usually will. But I mean, you know, like I said, when you challenge a, a boy, you know, boys are usually, um, at least I know that I was, um, you know, very very competitive. You know, and if you tell me that I can't do something, or you challenge me to do something, oh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go much harder than I would, you know, any other way. So that was kind of the thing. Like when she challenged me, I was like, oh, gauntlet taken. Let's go. <laughs> you know? Wow. So in a way, I guess you could say it was like she also believed in you. She believed that you could do more than what you were presently doing at the time. And she felt she saw greater things for you, it seems, from what you're telling me. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, and I think that was, you know, the the wonderful thing about um, about Miss Mobley is that she saw – you know, the, the beauty and the potential, um, excuse me, like from everybody, right. you know? And I think that that's, that's the thing that, you know, especially when you're in middle school um, and you're trying to figure out who you are or you're just kind of trying to find yourself and you're like, oh, this might work, you know? Um, you know, and, and some teachers are like, mm, you know, you're coming in here, um, you know, 
however you're coming, you know, you might be coming in correctly. You might be, you know, and I mean, I have a lot of, I, I deal with a lot of students too. So, you know, some of them, I'm like, hey, that, that may not necessarily be your lane. But, you know, if you can give a kid a proper lane to, to drive in, then, you know, usually you can get a lot better result. So my question, because you said that you deal with a lot of students, do you see your older self when you were younger, like your younger self, do you see your, your younger self in these students, like in a way that it, it, it resonates with you? Oh, yeah, I do. I mean, and I, I work at a high school now, um, you know, and I'm a, I'm a teacher myself. Um, so, you know, my kids that, you know, come in late um, or, you know, always on their phone and stuff like that. I was just kind of like, yeah, that was that was me in high school, you know. Mm. It's it's a lot easier, you know, for them when they're you know having a bad day, or I gotta be, you know, a bunch a bunch of explicit words, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, hey, like, okay, you're having a bad day, like whatever, um, but I need you to be able to still, you know, focus um, and do anything um, and do the do the thing, you know, do the work and everything else like that, or. I might, you know, be able to try and provide some time for them and, and let, literally sit down and be able to talk with them or listen to them because maybe that's what, like, no one's doing for them right now, mm, you know? Okay. Not listening. So. Mm, I love that. I love that. The listening part because um, do you, it's interesting, right? Because I go, lie, this is what I wasn't expecting to go, and I love this. This is how <laughs> I love the organicness of this. Um. So the listening part, right? Do you think there's a difference in the listening today and opposed to how the listening was back in the day? Cause I know when I was growing up, it was like, if I did something wrong, the teacher would sit down with me and be like, okay, why are you behaving this way? You really got to talk to your parents now. Right. And opposed mm -hmm. to, and then the parents would be like, Hey, what's going on? We'll have a whole meeting. It seems like nowadays it's not like that. I feel like the authenticness behind wanting to help the students and helping the generation after us, it seems like it's changed dramatically in some sorts. And I, I'm curious, like walk me through that. How does that look like for you? Um, you know, and I, I, I think, it, I think it looks differently, you know, in, in a lot of different schools in my particular school, you know, a, a lot of it depends on the teacher. I have a lot of teachers that, um, are really, really great at creating that, that kind of time and space for those kids, you know, whether it's like their planning period and then they actually will sit down with them and be like, you know, listen to the kid, you know, kind of get a kid feedback um, and really kind of like take that time um, that it takes. Um, sometimes it is a conversation where they're like, hey, you know, um, we got to get your parents in on this. Um, but I feel like, you know, a lot of our teachers still do that. I think mm. that, you know, with a lot of young teachers, I think that it's it's hard for them because they're, they're trying to figure out where the boundary is, you know, mm. uh, kids. Okay. And so they don't even want to, like, understep it. They don't want to overstep it, you know. Um, and then them being, like, you know, first or second year teacher, they're not super confident, mm. you know. Wow. You know, and I mean, like, Miss Mobley, Miss Mobley was an older teacher. She had been teaching, you know, 20, 20 plus years. So, you know, for her, she knew how to approach, you know, she had tried, you know, X, Y, and Z, maybe Y didn't work out, but X and Z were like stuff that she knew would work with kids, you know? Mm. Um, and I think that that's one of the things is that, you know, we, 
we got to, the way that you learn, you know, anything is that you got to try it, you know, whether or not you fail or whether you succeed, you know, you got to at least take that first step and be like, all right, two plus two is five, you know, might be wrong. And, you know, that's all. What I need you to do is keep taking those kind of steps. And I think that that's a, that's a thing that, you know, as a society, we, we keep, you know, kind of taking steps. And sometimes it's one step forward. Other times it's two steps back. Mm. It's interesting, right? Because you talked about the boundaries, too. I feel like, the, yeah, it's it, there is a difference, I think, too, because... Even see because we didn't like like because when I was growing up I didn't even know what boundaries were right because right. I was right. still a kid <laughs> I felt like the teachers to us it felt like oh why are they being so ruthless or why are they being so harsh or why are they talking so aggressive at us and in mm-hmm. reality you look at it in retrospect you realize no they it's they believed it, that you could accomplish more because right. we don't know we don't know what they went through to get to where they were at so i think in that same way i guess in your particular case it gives you perspective like wait a minute now i understand why your teacher was the way it was cuz now i'm a teacher i'm still with doing this i get it now and, and yeah. it's interesting because see cuz i you know i have younger um i i have a, i have a 4 year old kid but like i have a niece that's 11 i have a nephew that's 18 19 and all that stuff and it's like the generations are so different because they're talking about phones and stuff like that. And it's like, we weren't even allowed to even bring electronic devices or it got confiscated or something. Now it's like, it's a whole different ball game. And I wonder how, like when you go into a classroom and I'm not talking about from a teacher's perspective, what about just from the perspective as both at the same time? Like, how, how does that make you feel at times too? Like you see that, like, do you ever have moments where it's like, Damn, back in the day, I wouldn't dare do that. Like, like, how does that? How does how was that for you? Because that's very interesting. Yeah, it. I mean, it, it's it's weird because you know, I mean, and you you do you have that 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 kind of weird parental, um, you know, kind of aspect where it's like, yeah, I have parents that will you know text their child in the middle of class, mm. you know, I have parents who will you know tell me, yes, I'm I'm going to text my kid to to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do. Wow, you know. Um, so, I mean, it's, 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 it's a weird kind of like dynamic, um, to where you have to learn, you know, some, some teachers are really good at like kind of integrating that tech into classrooms. Um, and, you know, not necessarily just shutting it down. I was actually looking at an article, um, actually before I got on the phone with you, um, that was actually having this, um, this, this same debate, um, and saying that, you know, cell phones should be banned from classrooms. Mm. You know, and then looking down in comments, as we always do, we'll scroll down and look at the comments. Right. It was parents in there that was like, yeah, I'm still sending my kid to school with their phone because I need to get hold of my kid whenever I need to. But you know what's crazy? But it wasn't like that when I was growing up, right? Because, exactly. like, it was more like they will call the school and then they get the kid out of class. And then you go to the, yep. like, the main office. And it wasn't even a principal's office. It was the main office. Mm-hmm. And then you were taught to see what you you know right. what the situation was, or even text messaging. It was more like taking a piece of paper, pass the note back down, and it's so crazy. I'm like, right? Ah, right. uh, we don't realize how this generation has it so easier than myself and even yourself. Like, like they have it so easier than us, man. They didn't even they were because we weren't afforded all that stuff. I mean, yeah, they had cell phones, but it wasn't like yeah. that crazy in that way the way it is today it's so crazy to me because i'm like wow that is true that is very true 
you know. Um, but yeah, and that you know, that, and I think that's kind of part of the thing is that um, I feel like a lot there's just there's there's been a lost amount of trust, mm. you know, oh, kind yeah. of you know, like you were saying, you know, parents would have to call the uh, the main office, and then the main office would you know get the kid down, and just kind of like you know that that process is is still in effect. It, it can still work, you know. Might be a little bit slower, but you know what? It it still works. You know, mm-hmm. but you have to kind of trust that process and, and trust the system. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That. Wow. I'm just like. I'm, I'm just on cloud nine because this is wow. I love this right now. So um, we are going to switch gears a little bit because um, I still want to highlight your work and I want to make sure that people know who you are, your writing and stuff like that. So I want to talk to you about your books, right? You have two of them. And there was one I was very interesting with, um, Chicken Soup and a, jot, uh, and a Shot of Jack. How did you come up with that title? That That's a very interesting title because I think about Chicken Soup for the Soul. You're talking about Chicken Soup and a Shot of Jack. I'm like, wait, tell, tell me about that title. How did that come about? Um, Chicken Soup and a Shot of Jack came about, <laughs> and this is this is really crazy. Um, because in 20, uh, 2014, um, I got my second DUI, right? Okay. So, you know, I go to court, you know, and they're like, you know, shouldn't have drove, yada, 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 take your license, all that good stuff. And I was like, okay, yeah, all awesome. Um, they're like, you're also going to have to do these, you know, DUI classes, um, you know, therapy, and you can't drink for, uh, I think, I think it was a year. Mm. I couldn't. For a year, I got my license back. Um, like after a year, after I, I I completed these classes and now all this kind of stuff, you know. Um, so I was like, okay, it is what it is. Um, and so like in going to these classes, they always do like kind of like a check in. How is everybody day doing? You know, what are you doing to uh, keep yourself busy and and not drink, right? You know, or do drugs, whatever. You know, you're stimulant of choice was at the time of your, you know, um, your misdoing. Um, so they come around to me and they're, they're kind of checking in and they're like, you know, what are you doing, you know, to stay sober? And, you know, I told them, I was like, I'm writing a book, you know, and a lot of people kind of looked at me and was like, yeah, you write a book. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. And I was just kind of like, no, like, seriously, I'm, I'm writing a book. I'm working on essays and some poetry um, some short stories and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, and that's what's, you know, keeping me, keeping me sober right now. Mm. And they're like, you know, what are you going to call it? You know what I mean? This is kind of like a group therapy kind of thing. Um, so a lot of times people will be in their fields and everything like that. So I was like, you know, I don't know what the hell I might call it. I might just call it, you know, shit, chicken soup and a shot of Jack, mm. you know? And everybody kind of looked like, you know what? I feel that. I feel like that makes a lot of sense to me, you know, um, because I mean, that's, that's, you know, kind of like what our situation was. Our situation was, yeah, we had, you know, we drank, we drove, we did drugs, we drove, we did something, you know, and, and got behind the wheel of a car when we shouldn't have. Now we're sitting here paying the price sober, really thinking about some of the choices that we've made. Um, and I think that, you know, that whole chicken soup for the soul, uh, series is, is kind of like that kind of thing, you know? Um, but yeah, it was, it was in a time in my life where I was stone cold sober mm. and 
um, you know, trying to figure out, all right, how do I move on to uh to the next spot? Wow. And um and, and I think that's what a lot of people don't talk about is the sobriety aspect of it, right? Because um, you know, like twenty thirteen was like my lowest point. So I was also struggling with alcohol and stuff like that. And when I gave my life to Christ, you know, my whole life turned around. But that was a process in itself. And then right. 2015, I relapsed, and then I had to start the whole thing over again. But that's part of the journey. That's part of the process. That's how you learn. Um, explain to me the real, not not the sugar-coated shit, because this is, this is what society happens. Like, they, they don't really talk about the raw stuff, about sobriety. Like, the first couple of days, and then going into the next month, and stuff like that. Like, hey, like walk me through that process, because I think that's something that's not talked about a lot. Like, like you know, whatever that looked like for you, whether it was the withdrawal, or the temptation. Um, like, because for everybody, it looks different for everybody. So, I'm just curious for you, how did that look like for you? Like, like, like how real is legitimately that struggle? Because that, that is real. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, with me, it is, it, it's it's like anytime shit goes like bad, you know, like waking up and your your tires flat, and you're like, you know what, I can get through this day, I can get get this tire right. Um, I'm happy to pay some extra money, which I don't fucking have. Um, but at the end of at the end of this day, when I get this tire right and I, I spend this money, I want to have a drink. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Um, it is that that kind of that kind of reward system that I had kind of used it for that like got out of hand, you know, um, or like it became like that, that thing that was there for always birthday or always celebrations and always bad times, mm. you know? So like, you know, and I mean, oddly enough, um, I was working at like a girl's treatment center and like we were dealing with teenage girls like every, every day and their behavior, um, was atrocious. And wow. Dangerous. Right. You know, um, so I'm I'm dealing with, you know, their situations for eight hours a day. Um, and then, like, the only thing I want to do is, you know, like, have a beer and go to bed or, like, have a beer, you know, in a couple of shots and be like, okay, now I'm numb enough to, like, not have to feel all of this shit that I've been feeling or think about, you know, this child who was dealing with this situation who acted out this way because of this you know um so i mean that was that was kind of the thing is you know like it is it is the escape you know um and i think that's the thing that people like realize kind of on a surface level but then like when you put your day-to-day shit in it you know um then it just you you like you realize like oh this i am doing that because of that like, mm. oh, I did drink on my birthday and I did drink on my dad's funeral. Wow. You know, like, yeah, those, both of those things, like, you know, like emotionally, yeah. You know, like I'm even, if it's just an okay day and I just, you know, went to work, nothing big happened, got home safe, nothing big happened, watched my favorite show, nothing big happened. Guess what? I drank through, I drank through all of that stuff that happened that evening. Mm. You know, like I got home, it was a decent day, had a glass of wine, you know, cooked some food. You know, did whatever that wine turned into, you know, three beers, decided to go out, you know, those three beers turned into three more beers and, you know, six shots at the bar. And you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Mm, wow. 
So so for not so for you to not be able to do that for a year, like how how what how difficult that must have been for you? Because that that is hard. To just to not do it for a year, knowing that now this is what you were used to. You were used to doing these things, and now it's like, I got this one DUI. I gotta take these classes, but now I can't do this for a year. The same thing I enjoyed, but the thing is too. I think what a lot of people don't realize too is like you know we were doing those things without realizing we were probably masking a lot of pain or medicating pain that we probably didn't realize it was there. And I think for us men too, um, I like to think like, you know, us men are very prideful beings and we don't really, we're not like women that they'll express emotion like that unless, because we have these walls we put up. So it gets to that point sometimes where we have to, um, like slowly we put the walls up, but there's that trust issue that, okay, but what if now there's another brick in that wall we're adding instead of taking down and it's just, it's, it's. It's hard. It's hard, man. And again, so much respect for you for sharing that. Cause that's that I really feel like that's really how it is sometimes. We're used to something and then now it's like, oh, this got this got put this kind of got in the way because of my mistakes. See, this is what I did. Now I can't right. enjoy those things. But at the same time, I look at it as oh, but that's the same that I also saved you, right? Because because mm-hmm. without us realizing it we were probably already doing damage to ourselves without realizing we were damaged to ourselves and that DUI, right? Now, even though yeah. that that stopped you from enjoying the alcohol, but it also saved you from what could have been a worse thing, see? So there's also, there's also the brighter side of that situation. It is, and it, you know, it, it allowed me like time and motivation to like, like sit down and actually write a book, you know? Um, which is like weird because I mean, all that extra time that, that I was used to like going to the bar and drinking, you know, I would, I would go like either to a coffee shop or I'd go to a park or I'd, you know, park my car somewhere and I'd have my notebook and I'd be writing, you know? Um, and like, that was the thing. It was like, you have to figure out, um, you know, and I, I feel like this is something that like he said in the group or somebody in the group said it. And I think that it sounded corny at the time, but like, it's, it's actually kind of true. Whereas like you have all this time that you spend drinking. If you stop drinking, there there still will be that time. You have to figure out something to do in order to fill that time that's not drinking. Mm. Wow. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, I don't give a damn if you're writing a book or um, going back and playing an instrument or spending more time with your kids or, I don't know, pick up, you know, uh, a book on, you know, becoming an electrician. I don't know. Whatever it is that, you know, you want to do, um, to be able to fill that time. Like people have to figure out shit to do to fill that time. That's like meaningful to them. Right. Some people are like book readers. So they're like, this book reading shit is not going to be for me. You know, you have to, you know, sometimes it has to be like some kind of hobby or like with me, I know it had to be something somewhat physical, something I could do with my hands, you know, because like, you know, drinking is, is very much hand motion. I also smoke cigarettes. So it was kind of one of those things where it's like it's a trade-off. Like I have to have this this kind of motion going on that I'm used to having like in my evenings and my days off and shit like that. Mm. Okay. Wow. No, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, and I guess I also wanted to ask you, so when you put the book together, you started writing the pieces and you were doing all that stuff. What, how did it make you feel to grab that pen and to start writing, and then once you finished it, and now okay, there's the publishing, there's the process I have to go through to make sure everything's proofread and stuff like that. 
How did it make you? How accomplished did that make you feel? Or just I rephrase that. How did it make you feel having to accomplish that goal of writing the book and then finally publishing? Like walk me through the process of that, and then walk me through the final day that okay, it's published, it's out. Like tell me all about that. Um, I mean, the the process is something that I think people really have to learn to love and enjoy. Um, I was really blessed with uh, Chicken Soup and a Shot of Jack that I had a homegirl who I had known um, for years from doing like spoken word and, um, you know, going out and um, doing a lot of slams and stuff like that. And she did like my cover design, you know. So like she would shoot me ideas because like I was I terrible, terrible graphic artist, okay? I'm talking about like I had a can of chicken soup, bottle of Jack, put it together like on a page, had my name splashed up there and like had like, um, you know, chicken soup and a shot of Jack. And I was like, hey, what do you think is up about this for a cover? And she looked at that and she was like, Clarence, this is terrible. Oh, absolutely wow. terrible. <laughs> she was like, do you need somebody to design your book cover? And I was like, yeah, she'll see what the hell I'm doing over here. You know, and she like, she hooked me up and she was like, hey, I'm gonna send you some different designs. Um, some stuff like that, and you let me know, like, what you're feeling, you know? And then I'd given her, like, a couple of pieces of portrait that I had written, um, and a couple of the essays, and she was like, okay, I kind of I kind of see where you're going with your vibe is and stuff like that. Um, so, like, being able to kind of reconnect with a lot of poets that I knew um, and then kind of, like, do a barter system because I didn't pay her, like, in cash for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember we we traded because I was like, well, what do you need? Because, like, right now, like, my money is low, but, like, I can get some things. And she was like, well, I need a microphone. So I was like, all right, cool. I was able to, you know, get a microphone for her, ship it to her, and we use that as payment for her doing my uh, my book cover. Wow. You know, which is, like, really dope. And I was like, this is, this is great, you know. Um, I also reached into the poetry world for um my editor um fire mm. and dealing with her was was great because like it gave me somebody else to bounce this off of you know what i'm saying um and i think a lot of authors you know writers out there are like oh i don't need an editor they're expensive this now would you and i was like when you find you a good editor you know somebody that will like talk through this with you like it, it, it makes all the difference in the world. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Um, and I think that was the thing because like, I remember, um, us really like diving into the essays, um, and the, the short stories. And she was like, you know, are you really, this is the point that I'm getting when I read this. And she was like, you know, is this the point that you're trying to purvey? And I was like, no, I'm not. She was like, we need to change all this up then. Mm. And I was, you know okay. what I'm saying? So like I, I literally had like phone conversations with her because that email emailing me back and forth, like I don't that you know, I'm old school. You yeah. know, I got to hear the, the voice inflection or I need you to be like brutally honest. Like I and that's that's my thing. I was just kinda like, if it sucks, let me know it sucks and I need to rewrite it. Mm. You know mm. what I'm saying? And I think that a lot of times people will kind of sometimes get their feelings hurt if somebody was like, Well, this shit doesn't make sense to me. Mm, and okay. saying okay well what doesn't make sense you know what i'm saying because and i think that's the thing is that as writers you know we 
we, we kind of want to be one and done and be like, okay, well, I've written it. It's off my chest. I'm all done. Right. Like, no, somebody read your shit and be like, this shit don't make sense. This is misspelled. Did you really mean to spell ain't like that? You know? Because that's the thing is that, like, you have to be like consistent about all of these things. Right, right. You know, so like, I got a lot of good, bad, and ugly. And then, like, through the editing process, it was kind of like, oh, okay. Ugly is going to bad. You know, bad is going to good. Good is going to decent. And then, you know, we land on this thing of, you know, this final draft. And it was like, I was like, this is great. You know, this is, this is, this is what I wanted. This is what I was looking for. Um, and then, you know, being able to like upload it on Amazon and figure out, you know, that whole process, your copyrights, sending your TX form in, um, then learning about ISBN numbers, um, and how, you know, those will affect like your stuff, how much those cost, or you can get one free through, you know, Amazon. Um, while you still retain the rights of your uh, your work and everything else like that, but they're just there's kind of like the publisher, mm. you know. And I think that's kind of the the boat that I'm on right now is you know, you know, do I want to, um, you know, have my own publishing company where I, I'm able to get a bulk of ISBN numbers and then publish them either under my name or under my company. Got you, got you. That makes sense. But, you know, and that because that's the thing is, I mean, that's that's the process um, and it is the publishing process. It, you know, the writing process is, is something that's easy, you know, to do. I think as, as writers, we all, you know, we'll do it whether you're writing, a, you know, a poem or like slam piece or you're, you know, doing whatever. Um, you know, you you look at it once you you've created it and you're like, oh, OK, well, this. That line sounds funky, you know, especially I feel like for spoken word artists, because and I've written poems. Well, like I've read them aloud. I was just kind of like, what the fuck did I just say? That that doesn't make any sense at all. Mm. It doesn't follow the flow of a poem, you know. Um, so and I, I think that's that's the same thing with with writing books is that you have to be able to like, you know, read it out loud and then look at it kind of from afar and be like, you know, does this thing still make sense? Mm, okay. No, and, and that no, what you said makes perfect sense. I think that's what it is. People don't really talk about that kind of stuff. And it's so true. I think all that things matter because it, it's important, right? Because you have you know what the vision is for right. your book, right? You know what you want your book to be. And yes, it's our responsibility responsibility to make sure that that point does come across, but at the same time it's okay to have that group of people that believe in the vision that you are trying to show and to make sure that that vision is, it pretty much comes out to what you want the vision to be. Because yeah. I have friends of mine that are also publishers and stuff like that. And one thing they always tell me, right? Mm -hmm. The biggest thing they have in common is they tell me that people think that, okay, here's my book. Here, you take care of it. And it's like, no, yeah, they could probably do all that. But no, but you have to help me help you display that vision. Like, yeah. I'm not going to spend hours editing what I think you're trying to say. And then I don't ask you nothing. And then I show it to you. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, no, that's not what I'm trying to say. Well, ha no, we're not trying to do that. No, we do this together. That's why these they do the contracts. They do the 
talking. And yeah, I'm the same way like you too with old school. I'm very old school. I hate that whole texting or emailing. Right. Let's just, I'm very old school myself because my, 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 my mother still has a, a landline phone. So I, I get it. Like, um, that, yeah, even, even this generation won't understand that. But, but anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. I just had to kind of throw a joke out there. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, this again, you know what your vision is and our job is to make sure that we help each other get that vision out there. Because one thing we always talk about is everybody likes the idea of having something or writing a book or having the um, having a house or having a car or having this fancy ass job. But right. let's be real. You could wear a suit if you don't. It's like it's like you're trying to press a girl. You have a car. You have a suit with a tie. But if you don't know how to talk to women, they're not gonna take you seriously. So in that same way, right. it's like if you you like the idea of things, but no one really understands the responsibility and the discipline that it takes to have those things. And that's why shit gets you know, shit hits the wall sometimes. That's just the that's just how it is. Because if you don't learn that, then life's going to teach you that. And sometimes life is very harsh. They're going to teach you harsh things. They don't care about your feelings. Like, that's just what it is. That's real. And that's, you know, that's that's real, real. And, you know, if you're, you know, like a lazy person or a person that's like, you know, you don't want to put in the work, um, then, you know, the work is going to get done regardless. You know, so, I mean, you'll just, you'll end up being steamrolled, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've talked to some some author friends who I felt I was like, you know, like, I'll help you edit your book, um, you know, if you want to do it. And it's like, oh, no, you know, I'll get somebody else to do it. Um, and they did. They got like a friend of ours to kind of like edit the book. And they were trying to contact them, you know, to really discuss the edits. And they were like, yo, you're not going to do it. I'm just going to do the edits and I'm just going to charge you, you know. And the edits were done and they were charged and they looked at the edits and they were like, well, I don't agree with these edits. And I was just kind of like, you got to put in the work. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, if you just sit back and let somebody, you know, do the job, then, you know, the job will get done. But, you know, you got to remember this is this is your story. This is your craft. Mm-hmm. And so, but- I mean, if it's, you know, somebody has a, an issue with it, then, you know, you need to have be able to have that discussion so things are, are crystal clear. Yeah. Amen to that. And that's what it is, too. It's like. You, you, it's, oh man, that's so good. That is so good. Hold on. I got to get my thoughts together because this is good shit right here. You're saying it is so true. Yeah, this is your, that tells me that you don't take your crafts fucking seriously. Then if you're not going to work with each other to make sure the craft, like what you want to do is what you want it to look like. If you're right. just letting me do everything and you don't really discuss the edits and I discuss you don't agree with it, now I got to go back again that I don't hear from you for a couple of months because I'm trying to do what you want me to do. That means you don't take your thing seriously. Then, yeah. then what's the point? Why do I want why would I want this? I don't want I don't want my I don't want my rep, my company to represent this. It, it, I can't have you represent my company in the works I'm trying to publish for people if you're not going to take it seriously. This is your book. Okay? And that's, you know, and that that's the thing about it, man, is, you know, um, and I, you know, and I, I self-publish. So it's like everything is is on me. You know, the, the cover design. If, you know, somebody shoots me a cover design that I don't like, you know, I'm like, hey, don't like it. And they're like, you know, what don't you like? And I'm like, I don't like X, Y, and Z, you know. And we might get to a point where I'm like, you know what, I might just have to go with somebody else. Right. You know, because I don't like the cover design. Or I don't like the edits that you've done with me. 
I think that, you know, and I, and I have, I've, I've had several conversations with uh, designers who, you know, try to do a four or five different edits. And I was just kind of like, you know what, you, you've given a valid effort, great attempt. I'm going to find somebody else who's, who might match my style. And that's okay. It's no hard feelings. It's, it's not personal. It's business. Like, right. you know, but some people are not able to say no to that person and they'll take that little, that really crappy cover design, yeah. you know, because they're booking nobody to sell them. Man, that, that cover design sucks. Like that shit doesn't fit what you're talking about at all. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with you on that. I think your cover design has to match what you're trying to portray in your work and your pieces and stuff like that absolutely yeah a amen to that um so um so now I, what i'm gonna ask is uh if you could read a piece to give the audience an example a taste of who you are how you write and your style okay um let's see we're gonna go to chicken soup and a shot of jack this is a little bit from um, an essay that I wrote called They Never Told Us, um, just because I know that we were talking earlier about kind of kids and learning stuff um, and things like that. So this is an excerpt from um, They Never Told Us. They never told us to listen to each other, never taught us to engage in the conversation, never taught us to challenge a speaker to, to prove that which they said was actually true. They never told us to dream. They told us to make goals, and those are the building blocks for the foundation of living. Rarely did they inspire us. They merely spat their philosophies of hard work, paying off in the future, yet they didn't really teach us to smile. They told us to adhere to the rules, honor your mother and father, and your days will be long upon the land. They told us that mommy wasn't happy. They never told us that mommy was unhappy with daddy's infidelity and that daddy was unhappy with mommy's insecurity. They never taught us to believe in each other. No one ever said that little boy or girl sitting next to you is your brother or sister and you will need them, so help them and vice versa. They taught us to say, they taught us to never say hi to a stranger. They never taught us how to make a friend when everyone initially is a stranger. They told us what to do with the, they never told us what to do with the scary girl in the back of the class who wore dark makeup and never wore shorts in gym class. They never told us she likes to cut herself. They never told us why. They never gave us a game plan for that loner boy who always read advanced chemistry books and walked around with his head down. They never said to engage him or talk to him. They just said he would be okay. And that's kind of the uh, the excerpt from They Never Told Us. Wow. That, you know what's interesting? And it's so true. Because, um, okay, because I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. So um, my, I grew up, like, I was born in the 80s, but I was pretty much grew up in the 90s. And, um... It's so true. I cuz I do I did I did live in a time where they never really told us those things, right? It's true. But that's something they never really talked about what you said like the dark the the dark girl 
with the you know the cutting themselves like because there was always that one kid like that or the little nerd and and even the word nerd back then that was so offensive back then they even even made a joking movie out of it called revenge of the nerds right but like it's interesting no one really spoke to us about that you're right i don't know if it's a minority culture thing or it was just the way it was i don't know honestly but i never because like what me when I was growing up, my parents never, especially my dad, he did not talk to us about the birds and the beads and the sex. Like, I had to learn that on my own. Right, right. Like, they yeah. didn't talk about that kind of stuff, you know? Um, I mean, no, no offense to white people, but my father would say, oh, that's white people shit. That's what my dad used to say. That's yeah. just typical yeah. Yeah. Hispanic. They would say that. I mean, sorry, white people. I don't mean to disrespect you, but it's just, <laughs> that's what I grew up watching. That's what I grew up hearing. Oh, that's white people shit. Like... We, we don't do that. And, and it's worse because you, you say stuff like that in Spanish. Like, that that's even worse, you know, because you can say mm-hmm. the same thing in three different ways and it sounds worse than the other. And, and that's the reality because we were never told and we told. But my question is, in your opinion, do you think we've told the younger generation too much? Um, On on one hand, I, I feel like we, we did. And I, I think that's kind of where that boundary thing kind of comes in. You know, and it's kind of the same thing, kind of like with with social media. Mm. You know, um, teenagers who have social media, you know, I feel like it, it can be like a really a double edged sword because I mean, you know, emotionally, if you're you know 15, 16, 17 years old, somebody posts some some shit about you or you get a, a DM, you're gonna fly off the handle immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, um, whereas you know someone older might be like, what does he mean by that? Or you know, does he mean this? Or like what, you know, like let me call and like kind of figure it out, um, you know. And I feel like that's kind of the, the thing is that we we were having all of these conversations. Um, and like with our parents, if our parents were, were having certain kind of conversations, I know I would be excused from the room. Mm, exactly. Yeah, you actually, I wasn't even allowed to be in the, the conversations. They would tell right. us, "Hey, get, get out of here. This is between right. this, this is a grown folks conversation." Like mm-hmm. you're right. And I, I think that with us saying, you know, um, I'm not going to be like my parents. I feel like we we threw that out the door. Mm-hmm. When I feel like we we probably should have kept maybe some of it mm-hmm. because there are some conversations the kids don't need to hear. This is true, right? You know. Um, and I feel like that's kind of that 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 kind of boundary thing, where like kids feel like they're grown because they're in all the goddamn conversations, mm. you know. Whereas I'm like, no, you're still a child. This is my business because I'm an adult. I'm the head of this family. You go in the other room. Go sit your little tail down. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it is over here. You know what I'm saying? Wow. So, and that's what I'm saying. I, I don't necessarily, we, we need to do that, um, like, all the time. But I'm just, there are, certain, there are certain times where you're like, yes, I need to have this conversation in front of my child so my child understands and knows what this conversation is supposed to look like. Mm, okay. You know, um, and I feel like we just we just swung the door. And we was like, we always let the kids in. But I'm like, there's certain times it's like, no, nah, you need to go out. You need to go on out, you know, so I can, you know, talk to your mama about this. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I definitely believe in the there's a time and a place for everything. The problem mm. with my parents was there was no such thing as a time and a place for everything. It was more like, no, this is not the time for you to be here. Get out. Right. 
that's no I, i'm just like oh man because everything you're saying is so true this is this is like it's not talked about enough i i will say that off the bat because that is real what you just said because mm -hmm. i think that's one of the foundations as to why a lot of my generation have mental health issues i'm not saying all of it but majority is because of that because there was stuff that we could have learned from just hearing these conversations even if we didn't hear the whole conversation maybe there were certain points that we that we thought that could have been important but we're right. just never gonna know um I remember years ago, I was having like a marriage counseling with my pastor, right? Because, you know, this is like the pre-marriage thing that they do. So they do oh, it's important for us, you know, to understand marriage, oh, yeah. what we're doing, which I think a lot of people don't do these days now is the pre-marriage counseling. I think that's very important because I've learned so much about my wife through that before we got married. And I understood that once mm -hmm. I got married, that wasn't going to be about me anymore. So I understood that. Um, one thing he said in this one meeting, and it blew my mind. I look back now, and I'm thinking about what you're saying. It just puts it all in perspective. The problem with the older generation, like my parents, even the, even our my our grandparents, great grandparents, like they don't give back. If that makes sense, mm -hmm. when it comes to life, they don't give back to us. Like they think that if they gave us a materialistic thing, that was kind of kind of like okay, shush us up kind of thing, and okay, we move mm -hmm. on. Okay, now you're happy now, because someone like myself there was certain life advice that i could have used that you could have taught me that right. my parents never because again my parents never sat down with us so right. we had to learn all these things on my own like you can't tell a kid hey listen to what i'm saying because i said so no, yeah that that that's that's <laughs> that is such a dead line right now that <laughs> yeah you know um you know, and I, I, I just, and I, I remember like, like my parents using that line on me, you know, because I said so. Mm. And I was just kind of like, this is not the end of the argument. Like, that is not the end of the argument. Like, <laughs> that's your final, like, because I said so. But that's not good, though. But now that's going to, I feel like that makes the kid want to do it now more than ever. Don't touch the candle because you're going to get burnt. Okay, right. that's reason. Okay, now I won't touch it because I'm going to get hurt. You're just saying, oh, because I said so. Don't, don't touch the candle because I told you not to touch it. And then yeah. you touch it. Oh, I told you not to touch it. You see, mm -hmm. but why do I have to wait for me to touch the candle for you to tell me why I shouldn't have touched it in the first place? Yeah. But you say that to your parents. Oh, that's a smack in the mouth. Because growing up, I wouldn't even dare talk back to my parents. Now, oh, yeah. now, oh, yeah. and I work yeah. in retail. What? Yeah, it is wild. It it is. You know, and that that's you know. But I mean, but that's. You know that's the way that our, our society has has shifted. You know so much because I mean now, you know kids will, will call and be like, "Hey, my mom hit me in the mouth or whatever," and then the next thing you know, you got the police at your door, and you're like, "Well, I guess you're gonna go to your auntie's house mm. for the rest of your damn life." <laughs> you know wow. because you know you can't you can't that's you know that's child abuse now. Yeah. Oh my God. You know. Yeah. You know, and I just I'm like you know for all this Bible thumping and beating and everything. You know, you know, it's it is, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, um, like I'm not a, a huge, you know, theologian or anything else like that. But like I said, it it has to have a, some kind of balance, you know, within within everything. You know, yes, I don't need a child to be abused, but you know what? Spare the rod, spoil the child. I would rather teach you this lesson myself rather than life get out here because life is going to get harder than either one of your parents put together. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the lesson I learned. I was like, yeah, my dad might've hit hard, but 
shit, that DUI and that uh, seven thousand dollars I had to spend behind it hit a whole lot harder. Mm. You know Come what I'm on. saying? So I mean, it, it's it's those kind of things where it's like, yes, you know, because I told you so is is not a good answer. You know, can you take a little bit more time and get do some explaining to me? Can I get a can I get a better example? Yeah. <laughs> and if you even ask a question, it was like, oh, that means you're not listening. No, it's not. I just trying to understand. No, you're not listening. I'm like, no, it's not that. Like, it's 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 crazy now. Like now, it's so different. I mean, I'll give the generation credit. At least they're willing to listen. But the problem is, when you, what, even though they're willing to listen, but they're so fast to criticize. They're so faster to judge and offend people and not care. But then it gets to the point where, okay, now we have to be careful what we say because people have become sensitive. Civilizations become very extremely sensitive to the point that yeah. you can't even be politically correct anymore. And it's yeah. insane. It, it just mind-boggles me that that's what it's come down to. Yeah, and I, I agree with you, you know, wholeheartedly. And it's like, you know, like I love stand-up, stand-up comedians, you know, and I love going to a stand-up show, you know. And it was like for a while they're like, you can't really go to a stand-up show and for a person to like tell their authentic truth, which is going to have some humor in that shit. Mm-hmm. Maybe kind of hurtful or, or whatever. You'd be like, oh, that, that stung a little bit. But you know what? That's kind of true. Mm-hmm. Not able to like like do that. Yeah. Come uh, on. Society, you know, we, we, we tilt back and forth so much, um, but us kind of tilting this way um, the way that we are, I'm just kind of like, dude, like, I need you to like, not be so offended. I need you to get a little bit, a little bit thicker skin, just, just a little bit, you know, so that somebody can say something to you and you can, you know, view it as being like act, actual criticism rather than like an insult. Mm, amen. Brandon, there are some people out here that's, that's just blatantly trying to insult you. Yes. Okay. I will give you that as well. But, you know, if I tell you something you know, bag or I'm, I'm giving you a review about your job and you're like, you know, you're not being fair and you're, you know, X, Y, Z because I'm X, Y, Z. And I'm like, no, that's not the case. Mm. Wow. You know? Yeah. Wow. Damn, this is such a great conversation, man. I want to make, oh man. Woo. All right. Come on. Give us another piece, man. Cause that, that is wow. Cause if I don't, oh my God. Cause you know what it is too. We can go on for hours talking about that. Cause this is truth <laughs> right here, man. This is, yeah. I'm telling you, they don't talk about this, man. And, yo, that's truth. This is truth right here, man. Amen. Yo, amen, brother. All right. Um, I, I think we're going to kind of, I'm going to kind of stick with this topic a little bit. And this is all from uh, Chicken Soup and a Shot of Jack. This poem is called Inverse. Gone are smoky lounges and platform shoes with big hair under disco balls. Ramona is no longer brave. Nancy, Drew, and the Hardy Boys fail to solve the mystery as young eyes become increasingly old behind soft, glowing, touch-activated screens. Libraries no longer exist. So how the hell do I cite that website again? There is no more or else because the pages teachers are on are not the same books that administrators use. Expired are teachers with Little House on the Prairie dresses or misters with neckties and tight button collars. Gone is the teaching of respect. Gone are two parent households. Absent is the strap or belt, a twofold tool that daddies had, 
one, because he wore the pants, and two, because he was disciplined. Gone is the stability of two-parent households. Mamas are still around, no, changing, evolving, or de-evolving, as the case may be, sending their girls to school looking like they're ladies of the night strolling the street, little boys not much better, waddling side to side like fat ducks on rippled waves, pants can't rise to the occasion. AWOL seems to be the community. No more candy lady or aunties in windows all night. We just neighborhood watching, ready to fight when hooded youngsters come around, entitled to our gun because the government told you to stand your ground. AWOL seems to be the community. We got preachers for profit doing more than storefronts, doing more than storefront screaming. They getting down on reality TV and apparently Catholic preachers took a powder pumping little boys full of sin. God may be an absentee landlord as Christians hold on to the tale of the second coming. Gone are smoky lounges and platform shoes. No more or else. Unpresent are two parent households along with discipline, respect and stability. AWOL is the community, and God just may be an absentee landlord. Moral standard, which would seem to last forever, has sunken into soil sprouting a yield, is a far cry from the greatest generation, atomic revolutions, and the hopes held with great-grandbabies of integration. No longer do we actually hope or actualize change in our corneas REM moments, veiled under skin, alarm clock sounds, causing the opening of pores and the moments of nevermore to continue. Wow. Wow. That That's just the truth. The main thing I got of that is that I feel like respect has been lost. Yeah. Respect is not the same as it was today, right? Because they think that, mm. oh, by us not saying certain things, we're showing respect. No, it's not that. It's, 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 more than that, right? Because right. if I tell you don't say something, okay, fine, yeah, you you just chose not to say something, but that doesn't mean you're respecting anything. That just means that you just chose not to comment on certain things, right? Respect to me, mm -hmm. like, oh, how about like when you're on the bus, give up your seat for another lady, right. that kind of thing. Or hey, if someone's behind you, hold the door so they could pass through, you know, or mm -hmm. or putting up a seat so your lady can sit down, and then you go around and sit on your seat after, like, you know, ladies first, like that kind right. of thing, the manners and stuff. Like, don't spit on the floor, spit on, like, on a napkin and throw it away later when you see a garbage can or something. Like, like you know, that, that, that to me is respect, you know? Like, respecting your parents. Like, you know, like, no matter how older you are, right, you should always mm -hmm. respect your parents, you know, especially your mother. And that's what it is, too. Like, they, they don't understand what true respect is, and I feel like that's lost now. Like, you can't go to, like, in New York City, I cannot go on a train mm -hmm. without saying, excuse me. And I say, excuse me, and people don't listen, and they're looking at me like I did something wrong. Like, this is what it's come down to now. Right. Like, I can't even say excuse me anymore. Like, I like you sneeze on the train just saying, ah-choo. People mm -hmm. are already looking at you crazy. Why? Because this coronavirus that happened right. three years ago, and it's like, now everyone's looking at you just wrong, like, mean. Like, as if yeah. you did something wrong. And I'm like, dude, I'm just sneezing. But you see what I'm saying? Like, it's crazy because how something like that happened three years ago, oh, my God, they're still paranoid. I mean, I get it. Fine. Everybody has PTSD. That's that's their business. But it's like 
there's no respect in any of those things anymore. And it's just like, it's insane to think that this is what it's come down to. I can imagine my grandparents looking oh, at this generation today and they'll be laughing their asses off. It would be. They really would be. You know? And it's just, you know, it's it's just kind of the matter of, um, you know, like, like we were talking about, just, you know, kind of everybody kind of getting so far away from, you know, the, the center of, of what we know, mm-hmm. you know, and, it, you know, and I think that you do have a valid point about, you know, people just kind of being able to understand, like, what respect is, you know, and it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, the, the polite thing to do is, yeah, say, excuse me, you know, on a crowded train, because I mean, yes, I've been in New York several times, and I have got on the train, I know what that battle is, it's, it's mm. real. Mm. <laughs> you know, oh my god! I could get an excuse me, <laughs> yeah. you know, because back in the day you might have just you know you might have just gotten to you know get the hell out the way or move you know, and some hands laid on you. <laughs> yeah, right. But but even with all that, like even I remember when I was growing up. Okay, whatever. We got to fight. We fist fall. All right, whatever. But there was that bro code. Like okay, cool. You know what? You still got up, shook hands. And we move on. Now everybody want to stab everybody or they want to push someone off a track. I'm like, yo, this is not how it was back then. And you didn't do this crap public. You went to a park. You fall right. in the park. Mm-hmm. Got a few licks in. Nobody got killed unless someone wanted to fight unfair. That's a whole different situation. But right. nine times out of ten, you moved on. And then your mom was like, oh, why you got a black guy? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Now it's like everybody wants to fight in front of the school. Like what? Like what are you doing? I mean, and I'm like, damn. I guess it's just not my generation then. Like, no. But you know, and I mean, that's the thing is, you know, that's why I said it's it's kind of like, you know, we we've, we've allowed social media to get out of control, mm-hmm. and then our parenting, you know, we we've allowed the kids in the room with all the grown folks conversation. Yeah. So now, you know, our kids see, you know, all this, you know, world world star. You know, fight here, fight there. And I mean, you know, like I said, I work at a school. So, you know, I already know I'm going to be on camera breaking up a fight. Mm. You know, because no one's going to break up the fight. Everyone's going to record it. There will be 37 different recordings with, you know, 25 different angles. You know. How does that make you feel, though? Because, like, as a teacher, too, because I'm like, damn, man. Like, it wasn't like that back then, man. Like, I I know, like, times change, but... It right. was more like people broke it up. There would be like one or few bystanders is there, but there mm. was always somebody broke it up before it got out of hand. Right. Well, Nowadays, I mean, it's yeah. they don't even want to break it up. They're like, oh, screw it, let them yeah. fight. I'm like, Ugh. yeah, you know. And I mean, my thing is just I, you know, and I think about just kind of like the kids involved as far as you know. Um, did y'all did y'all plan on on recording this? Like, this, was this a planned thing? And then too, like if you got beat up. You got beat up on camera, and this was not like something that was planned. Like, you know, how do you how do you work that? Because I mean, by the time that I get the video, or whatever, it's it's already you know viral. Mm, yeah, you know, matter oh, twenty minutes, I'm getting them you know broken up and make sure that everybody is good. Twenty minutes goes by, and I I finally get somebody's phone. The next thing you know, oh, it's you know it's been chatted out, or it's you know it's on IG, or you know it might actually be on World Star. Yeah, you know. And that's why I'm just kind of like, dude, like, you know, this person's, they're feeling like, you know, I got beat up and now the whole world sees me get beat up. Not just my school. Yeah, it's, you know it's a it's a pride issue now, man. Especially us boys, men, like, it's a pride issue because now it's like, 
because in one aspect it was more like if you didn't fight, you know, you you were a cornball. Like that's just what it was. And people made mm-hmm. fun of you because you didn't fight back. Okay, fine. But then everybody moved on. You get older. Fine. Whatever. Now it's like, it's so, it's, in, it, I don't know. It's just interesting to me. It really is because I'm just like, how did it get this way? Why did it get this way? I'm not saying that back then was any better either. I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like certain things made a lot more sense back then than it does today because Mm-hmm. Like you rather record someone getting killed pretty much by ten dudes, let's say for ten people or whatever, and it's like you just stand there. Like I just think common sense to me break. Like I don't know the guy, but just break the thing up. Like that was just right. common sense to me. Yeah, bar none. Like that's it. I'll break it up. I don't know the guy, but just break it up. Like that's yeah. just what I've always been taught. That's respect. Mm-hmm. That's that's manners. <laughs> like you just don't do mm-hmm. that. Now it, it it's oh man I don't know it's just it just bo- it my boggles me honestly it really does yeah this world's uh yeah oh my goodness uh, and the worst you know what and I, I was gonna say this earlier about generations the worst part about all that is when people in our same generation they're doing the same thing as the younger generation that's even worse yeah. I, that that I agree with you. You know, because we should know better. Because we should know better than that, and we act just like the younger generation. But yet we complain about the younger generation. But we are doing the same exact BS. It's very true. So, um, we are almost towards the end, and um, again, I want to thank you for coming up on here and telling me your truth, sharing your works and your thought. I mean, again, this was not what I thought the conversation was gonna go. This was better than what I thought it was gonna be, and thank you so much for that, because. It's it's like you can tell we're on the same page. We're on the same page when it comes to life values, and it's like it's hard to find stuff like that. So thank you so much for this. Um, Ooh, thank you for having me on, man. Oh, no, absolutely. It. And yeah, shout out to um Carlos Windham for that mental health um um Zoom meeting we did. Um, you know, because oh. my um Unrivaled Influence did sponsor that, and I was an honor and a privilege to do that. Um, mental health is very important, and and it, th- there you go. See, like even the conversation touches on that because. All of that messes with our mental health, and that was never spoken about back then, even in schools. So there you go. You know what I'm saying? But um, So this is my last question for you, and I always ask everybody this. So once we are not in this life anymore, so when people hear your name, what do you want to be remembered by? What legacy you want to leave behind? What impact you're leaving to? You're looking to impact, like all that stuff. Like what does that look like for you? Um, I, I feel like, you know, when I'm, when I'm no longer here, I feel like my books will be the, uh, will be part of my legacy. Um, and you know, my books will be filled with, you know, stories about, um, some things that are all the way right. Some things are all the way wrong. Um, essays and poetry that will make you think, um, debate, um, and maybe, you know, try and figure out a better way of, of doing things. And I think that that's, you know, kind of the power of story is that, you know, even, even your main character sometimes will, will go off the rails, you mm. know, what does it take that main character to get back on the rails? You know, we all learn through a story. Everybody is familiar with Aesop's fables, um, you know, and, and stories out of the Bible and, and things like that. Um, I want to be able to add to that canon and just say, hey, you know, um, 
what would you do in, in this situation or, or what is the correct course of action? You know, let's let's kind of look at our, our right or wrongs and then let's all come to a, a really strong or stronger consensus of what this right and wrong thing looks like. Wow. Wow. No, that, that's a beautiful thing. And yeah, you're right. Um, that that's that's the wow. Wow, I I I'm like lost for words because that was beautifully said. And I appreciate that's, that. And that's what it all comes down to. So, Clarence, thank you so much for um again joining me, doing this episode with me, and just having this conversation because this is that type of conversation that needs to be had. Absolutely, yeah. it's not talked about enough. And I appreciate you and uh, I so much respect for you for sharing your story with me. And that's what this platform is all about. Just, um, you know, telling our stories because like I always say, I know it sounds a little cliche, but yeah, celebrities have stories. But what about us? We have stories, too, that we want to talk about. And yeah. I'm glad I've been able to be one of the I don't want to say the first people, but I, I want to be, you know, one of the people that when people look back and be like, yeah, you know, what, Andy was able to provide this platform so people like us can listen and relate to people you know um at the end of the day um this is gonna be everywhere so people will come across this they'll hear this and it's like wow this is deep stuff and it's true um yeah so much so much respect for you so um any last words before we end um i just want to say thank you andy for providing the platform um you know like i said i've um i've listened to a couple episodes keep doing what you're doing um, supporting uh, indie artists, uh, poets, um, you know, writers, authors, because there are, you know, there are a million stories that are out there um, and the celebrities are the ones that get highlighted. Um, but it's real, real people like uh, yourself and me and people that you interview that also um, have great stories. So keep on doing what you're doing, man. I think we all appreciate that. Amen. Amen. So thank you everybody for listening to this episode. And until next time. Um, have a good night, everybody.